Okay, so I kind of just want to open this one up with a huge outpouring of gratitude. Hello everyone, it's Shara Carruthers here and you are listening to the Live Like You Love Yourself podcast. So since the last episode came out, I have had so many folks reach out to say hello or to share some beautiful story or to say thanks to me for publishing that episode. And it's been a number of weeks since that one came out. And I got to tell you, in part, the delay for put in, in putting that one out um, these last few weeks has been in part because of the challenge of saying goodbye. You know, the heartbreak of listening to Maria's brilliance and how easeful and generous she was right through the very last weeks of her life. And... It's because of that, and because of all of you, that I have pushed through some of my own sadness, really, in order to get these last couple of episodes out into the world. Um, I've also had a ton of encouragement from y'all to keep this podcast going, so that's just yet another thing to thank you for. And so I am thinking more about what new shape this podcast will take in the future, And if you're interested in knowing more about that, I invite you to listen to the outro at the end of the show. And so this one, this conversation is an absolute gem. It was the last interview that Maria and I did with a special guest. It was actually the last interview or, you know, or podcast conversation that Maria and I actually had all together. And so it was incredibly fantastic that this one happened to be with our friend and colleague Shannon Crow of the Connected Yoga Teacher podcast and the Pelvic Health Professionals. So over the course of creating and and putting this podcast out, Marie and I actually had quite a few incredibly juicy conversations with Shannon, both on and off the air around issues related to politics and social justice and even the impacts of the pandemic on the yoga world. And so this is actually the second time that Shannon is showing up on our podcast, one of the only uh, guests to actually do that. And both of us were really excited, Maria and I, really excited to actually finally sit down with Shannon to hear more about the work that kind of established her in the world of yoga, which is her work around pelvic floor health and education. And what we realized uh, in this conversation was that that work is is a passion of hers, an incredible passion that in many interesting ways, which we talk about, actually links to all the other work that she's doing in the world. All just a beautiful expression of who she is. The best part about this conversation in my mind, besides the fact that we just learned so much and so will you, is that it really felt like a gathering of sisters, just sitting down for a nourishing connection um, that we all kind of needed and that it was a perfect example of the energy and the vibe that Maria and I really set out to create with this podcast. The other best part about this one is that it is full of joyful moments. I got to tell you, part of my hesitation in putting out these podcasts has just been knowing that I've got to kind of pull myself together and listen to them again. And so um, this one was brilliant. I laughed out loud quite a few times listening to this again. And so um, it turned out to be quite a healing experience for me. 
So if you are in the mood for a whole lot of beautiful wisdom and some deep connection and a few good laughs, you're going to love this conversation that Maria and I had with our amazing friend, Shannon Crow. Yeah, that must be you, Maria. Is that... Oh, you can't hear it? I have noise-canceling earphones, so I can't oh, hear it. Oh, those are... There it is. It it's just Yeah, I do have yeah. lots of birds at my house. Hmm. It's wonderful. And people yeah. from North America are like, oh my God, those birds. Like, is that real? Like, what is that? You know, they're very vocal. Hmm. I get the same thing too, but I end up with like flocks of cockatoos that have... Yeah. You go see those at the zoo they in screech. North America, and they are... Yeah. They are excruciating, yeah. those birds. I love the kookaburras um, and I love, oh. um, and I love, what are they called? They're black and white uh, magpies. Magpies? Oh. Magpies oh, yeah. make this like, I mean, they make this really like throaty, beautiful. <laughs> that was a really bad magpie. That was actually kind of good. I was like, ooh, I love it. Yeah. I feel like they're a relative of crows and crows can so. make lots of different noises too. Yeah. Magpies like can actually imitate. So they've been, if like, if you feed ducks and they see you feeding ducks, they can quack like a duck to make you come out with the bread. Really? Oh my yeah, goodness. They're smart. I didn't know that. Well, crow, the crow oh. family, those, they're really smart. Yeah. yeah they're they're and I heard this story on a podcast. I don't know where, but this father and son are working. He's going to live with his dad because he's old. He's an older, he's a, middle-aged man and his dad goes oh my god come here and so he goes into the room where his dad's working and there's a magpie with like all this stuff around its foot and so they're like okay let's you know throw the towel over the magpie and they take all the wire the fishing line and whatever off its foot and off it goes and then two weeks later or a week later his dad's like oh my god come here come into the room and there is a magpie, we're assuming it's the guy who got his fishing line with another magpie who has fishing line on its foot. <laughs> oh my, oh my God. He's know. like, this is this is the doctor. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I know a guy. Yeah. <laughs> so I love that story. I don't, you know, so I'm not sure how true that is, but um, it was a cool story. I want it to be true. So. I do too. I do too. I, do I too. love that. I love yeah. that. I know a guy. Oh know. my goodness. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of crows. <laughs> we, yeah <laughs> lovely segue we are we're here today with shannon crow we're super excited we love we love speaking to shannon and as you may or may may not know we have had the opportunity to speak with shannon on a, a number of occasions and um and we're really happy here to be talking to shannon today about something she's very passionate about how you doing shannon i'm doing so well i'm so excited to see both of you and to chat Likewise. today yeah Likewise, we've honest, like I was sitting down thinking, um, we've talked so much, like, what are we going to talk about? And then I realized, like, I don't know if we've done much talking about your yoga story and about, you know, how you, how, where you came from and how you got to where you are now, just in terms of your specialty and all the rest of it. I don't know if we have. No, we haven't. So that would be good. Yeah. I'd love to hear where you, how you came to yoga, what, you know your path to where you are sure well it was a girl's night out yoga was it was when i was a new mom and my friends were like like let's do this ribbon making class okay now now we're gonna try this yoga class 
and then they and then we would go to the bar after <laughs> and i remember like you make ribbons and then go to the bar fine but to like go to yoga and then go to the bar afterwards just didn't really fit yeah. and so the next thing they signed up for i was like i'm gonna go back to that yoga class like there was something that i really liked there yeah. more than making ribbons um nothing what? against people who make ribbons <laughs> i don't know how you make and <laughs> and then um my kids were little so it was like the time when i could focus on myself mm -hmm. so I did yoga as my kids were little. And then when Sage was born, she's my youngest, she's now 16. Yeah. And I decided, I think I'm going to become a yoga teacher. And I looked all over for yoga teacher trainings. I was taking a class, a Kundalini class, and she's like, come to Toronto with me. Well, the wild thing is like Toronto's three hours away. The wild thing is the teacher that we went to see is actually just 20 minutes from us. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll she, drove. <laughs> she was just in Toronto at that time for right. something mm -hmm. special. Oh my goodness. Teaching, like she was teaching, uh -huh. um, but from up my way. So that's where things really took off. Like I, I loved that we focused so much on the philosophy of yoga that it was over a year she was also a naturopathic doctor, shout out to Satdharam Kar. And Satdharam would say, let's do this 40 days of meditation and then see how it impacts you. Like, let's see how, how you feel after that. And so that really rooted me in this, try something out, do the practice, and then see where it lands you. But I want to say, I very much moved away from that. I was in my 20s. And I was like, oh, but there's this hot yoga flow I'm going to go try over here. And like this, you know, vinyasa, like go as fast as you can in this class over here. And so I don't know how this felt to set Dharm because we, we also worked together in different capacities through the years. And I, I really chased like different yoga fads. And yeah, you have to experiment, yeah. don't you? and went through quite a few injuries as well along the way like mm -hmm. and then started to question like oh should I be teaching 16 classes a week or should I is this really the yoga for my body right now different questions like that and and then I really specialized in teaching prenatal and baby and me yoga and that's where the pelvic health yoga started to come in like I started to learn from pelvic health professionals, different things for my students, but then I started to learn about my own body and then thought, why didn't we all learn this? One, as humans walking the earth with a mm -hmm. pelvis, mm -hmm. and two, as, a, as people who birth babies, and three, as yoga teachers. Like, I even studied anatomy in college and we just skipped over the pelvis. Like, we did the bony pelvis, but I didn't learn very much at all really about the pelvis yeah yeah it it's it i think we're starting to recognize more and more these days about how uh how lacking um you know things like yoga teacher trainings really are and we're starting to kind of discover unfortunately it's it, a lot of it's just due to people having injuries and people having issues etc some of these things that are incredibly important to focus on 
Also in the teacher trainings, what happens is it's like disembodied anatomy. It's like if you've mm-hmm. got a good, whereas it's, it should be applied anatomy right away. So it's like the pelvis, this is it. Let's look at the muscles and the bones and then be like, now here's the pelvis in warrior one, warrior two, warrior mm-hmm. three, you know, like apply the pelvis so that people can go, oh, I see. Anyway, Shannon. That's, a, that's so, I've never thought of it like that, but th- that's exactly what we learned in anatomy, like in school, and then also in yoga teacher training. And even, like I said, like, you think that you really would get to know your pelvic anatomy when people are talking to you about birthing a baby, but mm. no, like not enough at all. And mm. part of this also was that I started to, like one of the quote unquote injuries or things that I've dealt with over the years is pelvic girdle pain. And so that's, mm-hmm. I realized that a lot of what I was doing in some yoga poses actually made it feel worse. Mm-hmm. And so it took me years of really trying different things and throwing out the idea of like, yoga is good for everything mm-hmm. because it really you really have to define what is the yoga that you're doing then, <laughs> you know? Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This is I, this is something I'm loving hearing yeah. because I feel very much the same about, you know, this idea. And it feels to me like um, it's it's a realization that we're actually starting to have. There's this. There's always been this view that, you know, yoga and even even certain kinds of yoga. This is all good for everybody, no matter what. And so it's taken a little away a little bit of our agency and a little bit of our power around it. It's like, well, I'll just show up and I'll do it and it mm-hmm. equals good for me. And it, so it means that we're, it can mean, I should say, that we're less present in the practice and with ourselves in the practice, I should say, and how it's feeling. And also we're feeling a lot less empowered around making choices in the practice that are going to actually have it be healthy for us. And so I wonder for, so... So your original dive into pelvic floor health was around helping your students. Was it immediate that you started applying it for yourself? And then from there, was it, did it grow? So I was teaching prenatal yoga teacher training. Kim mm-hmm. McDonald and I started uh, Mama Nurture, a prenatal yoga school. This is in a different lifetime. We both don't teach it now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in that we, hired a pelvic health PT to come in and talk to our group for three hours. And in that three hours, I realized I had diastasis recti, so that Mm -hmm. my rectus abdominis muscles from my three pregnancies, um, that linea alba tissue was struggling in some of my poses. So she Mm -hmm. right away like came over and used me as a demo and then told me and then Mm -hmm. said, go see a pelvic health PT. So it was very much my own journey for a while and then that's when I was like but wait a second the planks I've been doing are not helping this diastasis now Mm -hmm. I can do a plank and I don't have that anymore I don't have that diastasis but I had to really learn and I had to learn all the myths and misconceptions first because the pelvic health world is moving at a fast pace of learning Hmm. You know, at first it was like, don't do this, don't do that, don't move like that, don't. (laughs) And so I took all those out of my practice, but then I started to learn, wait a second, 
there's no research that says I can't do a plank. I just have to know about these things. And same with pelvic girdle pain. I was told my whole life something's off with your pelvis or your one leg is longer than the other mm -hmm. or your pelvis is wonky because of your pregnancy hormones or you know so many messages were out there your SI joints are out of alignment and I was shocked to actually learn that's not how the pelvis works the pelvis is very strong and stable and yeah. sometimes it's sensitive and protective so when you talk about pelvic girdle pain, can you actually <laughs> define that? Like, um, what does that mean when you say that? Yeah. So basically, if you look at the whole bony pelvis, yeah, all the way from the top to the bottom, anywhere in that area, and I would even say people who are feeling, like people will say, I have hip pain, I have low back pain, I have SI joint pain, pain in my tailbone or mm -hmm. pain at the front of my pelvis like at that pubic bone mm -hmm. that's where people generally feel it and the great thing that i've learned as a yoga teacher is i do not have to know what pain that actually is to either help myself or help someone else who's dealing with that pain like that's why if someone walks into a yoga class with me and they're like, my SI joint is really acting up today. Mm. I, I know I kind of have this list in my mind of like the things I'm gonna go through and offer to them, things that have been really helpful to me. And, and I don't have to diagnose because I don't, because I'm a yoga teacher, you know, I'm not mm. treating them. I'm just offering them suggestions for their movement practice that they're doing in that class. Um, and some things that they can do on their own outside of class as well in terms of movement. And yeah, so I hope that is, helps is like, that, to define. Yeah, it does a little bit because I, I kind of like that approach because rather than diagnosing and you start focusing on the bad stuff, whereas yeah. um, my understanding is like there are healthy movement patterns in the pelvis and that's what we're trying to support you know, kind of understanding patterns of movement and the way it works. And it's even its connection to diastasis recti, like because your pelvis is of course integral to your core system. So how you create intra-abdominal pressure is all there. And so you're, all you need to know is that they've got something going on for you to kind of kick in your instructions on managing the pelvis well. Is that what I, is that what you meant? Yeah, like I realized, like, I don't want to say when a human being walks in, it's so simple, because humans no. are very complex. Mm. You know, we have all of our emotions on top of our physical stuff that's going on in the body. Mm. And very much so with pelvic girdle pain, too. But there is a simple like, I've created this list for myself of like when the pelvis is sensitive and protective here are the things i go back to uh -huh. you know those are the, the and it it really takes i also want to say with this um because you brought up maria with the with how the pelvis is functioning there is mm. very much an emotional aspect to it mm. yes i started to hear that from 
Uh, it was Dr. Sinead DeFour who's done a lot of research on the pelvis and pelvic girdle pain. And she was talking about the emotional aspect of this. And I actually saw this in one of my students. She was coming to a prenatal yoga class. She was on baby number two. She was like sitting over in the corner. She really wanted to be in class, but she was afraid to move. She said it was so painful mm. sometimes. But she really she really loved yoga before. And, and so she came to me at the end of class. It was a group class. She was going to see a pelvic health PT, like a physiotherapist already. She was coming to yoga and wanting to move more and really so freaked out by this pelvic girdle pain. She was like, if it's like this, what's it going to be like after I have this baby, baby number two, right? And you know how it is when you have two kids, like you, you have to really be able to move to care for them. And so I said to her, because we have developed a relationship over many years, is there someone you can talk to about what might be happening in terms of your emotions about your pelvis and mm -hmm. this pain? And she said, yeah, I have a great therapist. I haven't seen her for a while. And then she just started to tell me this long story of being in a car accident in her early days, losing continence in that car accident, like peeing her pants in that car accident and how upsetting that was, like started talking to me about it. And she told me, I definitely want to go and see my therapist and talk about mm. this. She came back two weeks later and I am not kidding. Like she just was moving like anyone else in the class. Mm -hmm. And she's like, my pain is gone. Mm. So okay. I was, I mean, I wasn't even thinking that's going to be the whole ticket here. She was doing lots of things, right? She was, mm. and most of all, she was taking agency over her own healing. Mm. Yeah. Wow. What a beautiful story. It's so funny, too, because as we started talking about all of this and we dive into the anatomy, the first thing I always go to is the energy. Like what's, you know, what's what's happening in the mind? You know, how is that impacting um, what we're feeling and ha and physically and and, you know, our own ability or capacity to heal? And that's so I really love that you've shared that story, because I guess the thing, one of the things that I'm thinking about it right now is um, we, when it comes to things like this, it seems like we so often wait until we're experiencing some kind of pain or some kind of discomfort and we feel, and we'll take it, like we'll handle it. We'll just, we'll just power through that somehow until we get to the place where we feel a bit powerless. And I wonder just from your experience personally and also as a teacher, um, are there things we should be thinking about or looking out for or practicing um, before any of that happens? I think definitely. And I think this applies like over and over again, if I've done workshops or talks on this, every single person that is in a workshop has experienced some degree of like, discomfort or pain in the pelvis. So I think across the board, most people can benefit from this. And I would say, first of all, like if you are experiencing any pain in the pelvis, go see a pelvic health PT physiotherapist here in Canada and probably Australia or 
uh, physical therapist in the U.S. Mm. Uh, um, go see someone who specializes in pelvic health, but also who has a real understanding of pain science and new pain science. So just like you choose a good yoga teacher, a good massage therapist, or a good doctor, mm. it's important to find a pelvic health PT who feels like a really good fit too. So that's if you are experiencing pain, like that's, that's my first thing. When someone comes to me and they say, I have pain in my pelvis, like go see a pelvic health PT. Mm -hmm. I actually go see my pelvic health PT on a, you know, like every few years. Hmm. I like it's, we go so see the dentist. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, because I mean, I think people, I, I don't know, in Australia, <laughs> I don't think of people going to pelvic health PTs unless they've got they're wetting their pants or there's yeah. like a big problem. Yeah. So it's interesting to, to think of it more um, like as a, as a thing you do, if you have a pelvis. Um, right. Yeah. yeah. I think that's so important, but yeah, you said something really important that I want to just dive into and open up for a second. Cause you said not only should they be a pelvic health PT, but they should know about new pain science. And I want you, cause that's really important. I know what you mean, but I want you to open that up for, people who are listening because what does new pain science mean like you want to make sure that they're looking at um <laughs> that's such a good question maria i'm <laughs> like how could i boil this down well you I mean, did someone in a like... way when you were talking about your client and you mm -hmm. sent them to a therapist who mm -hmm. was like right oh, but um <laughs> still let's see you know carolyn van dyken sums this up really well and I find this so beneficial. Like she's, she says in about 11 weeks, if you've had some type of injury to the tissues, the tissues heal in about 11 weeks. And after mm -hmm. that, you're dealing with persistent pain. And that mm -hmm. doesn't just live in the tissues. 100% you feel it and it's real. It's not just imagined. It's not just in your head. And you want someone who has, that's looking at the, the biopsychosocial models. Mm -hmm. So there yes, go. there's the body. Mm. Yes, there's like, but there's also the mind and the social aspect of like how we're in relationship in the world and with the people we're around. Like mm. all of those things, if someone doesn't know what the biopsychosocial model is, you're just going to have a harder time. Like you can educate yourself and use them in your, like I definitely have, have had people who have supported me and I feel like, mm, <laughs> maybe you want to take this pain science course with me. <laughs> like, <laughs> but so someone there, either you or that person you're working with needs to, um, I think yeah. it's so important because I used to tell myself, you know, okay, this is my SI joint. My back has gone out or my SI joint has gone out. Mm. And that's not what I, like, it doesn't just go out. We're I was going to say, listen to the language of that. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. We use right. such terrible language around it. Mm. It yes. reminds me of yeah. something like one of my teachers used to say, which is um, if you have, and this is, I'm throwing this out there totally off the cuff, but um, if, you, if you're dealing with low back pain, have a look at your relationships. Right. Like your maybe your yes. parent, your 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 marriage, or you know whatever relationships you're dealing with. And so for me, you know, whenever I do experience it, which like now, <laughs> I I do think about all the things that I can, um, all the many ways that I might potentially be able to address this. It feels like 
um, it feels like for such a long time, and I think this is just the evolution of medicine and our understanding of the body and ourselves, the path to healing for physical things has been very narrow. You know, it's been some kind of drugs or some kind of physical therapy, et cetera. But we are starting to begin to recognize that we are whole people. We are whole individuals. And that means there's environments and there's foods and there's, you know, all kinds of things. There's, you know, ways of thinking and being that are social, socially conditioned and otherwise that all have a huge impact on mm -hmm. our our healing, on the way that we carry ourselves and even on our um, tendency towards injury or towards pain or towards whatever it is that we're express or experiencing. And so I, I think it's great that you've brought that up, Shannon, because, um, because I think it feels in many ways like this area is kind of moving a little, a little ahead of some of the practitioners who've been doing it one way for a really long time. And they may have seen great results that way, but we're opening up a whole new world of looking at and addressing these things um, that it feels like it can truly empower people. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, I agree. Like it really, I love that word, empower people. Like once, once you start to realize, okay, something that's going on with my emotional health here might be affecting the way I'm feeling in my body, that mm -hmm. really gives you, that empowers you. You're the person who's driving the bus then with your own health and well-being. Yes, like the, and I also want to say the flip side of that is that through the years in different injuries that I've had, you both know that I had a herniated disc in August. Different people have said to me, oh my gosh, you had that as a yoga teacher? Like thinking, and I think, yes, I'm not invincible. <laughs> I'm <laughs> I have <person>. this body. <laughs> and then then they ask, what did you do? I'm like, well, I, I went to my therapist and they're like, PT. Well, yes, I did PT, but I also went to my therapist and then they're shocked. Like, mm. how can you be stressed about life? Because you're a yoga teacher. I'm like, again, not invincible. Like we just went through a pandemic. I had a huge loss in the summer with my grandfather. I needed to really work through those things mm. or it was just going to hang out in my body. Mm -hmm. Right. It was the grief from your grandfather. I remember that. That's right. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that's a guess. Who no, knows? No, it right? felt to me completely directly related. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That was my. <laughs> we my, got it. We my diagnosis without having any authority to deliver one. I, I would like, Shannon, I didn't even know there was such a thing as a pelvic floor PT literally until probably about four or five months ago, maybe six months ago. I don't know. Time flies. But can you just, can you just talk a little bit about a, what a pelvic floor PT, I mean, we can get a little bit of an understanding from the name, but really how they serve their clients and if, and, um, and, and maybe why we, even though you've said, well, if you've got a pelvis go, but why or in what sort of situations we might seek out a pelvic floor PT? Sure. So physiotherapists are the same as any other professional in that they kind of skip over the pelvis which is wild if you think about it. Mm. And so PTs have the chance to take a specialized training and then continuing education from there all about pelvic health. 
And that might be like helping people with incontinence. They can take a specific training in that. And it's different all over the world. Like I know basically Canada, you know, Australia is the same, the US, they're pretty similar. Mm -hmm. But a pelvic health PT is basically will serve you anyone who's living with a pelvis and to find out like if there is something going on. So pain in the pelvis, you know, diastasis recti is an example that I had already said, pregnancy, postnatal, um, if you had to have surgery of any kind, pelvic organ prolapse, incontinence that's fecal or urinary incontinence, both um, pain during sex, um, endometriosis, like there's so many things that do happen mm. in the pelvis and, and they're for all of it. And the other great thing is they're also PTs. So they work like, I basically think from your neck down to the bottom of your pelvis is where they really focus in. Mm. And to me now, knowing what I know now, I really find it bizarre that we go to the dentist on a regular basis to get our teeth checked, but we wouldn't see pelvic health PT as the same thing, which I do in my world now. Mm. So, I do think if you're clipping along and nothing's going on with your pelvis or your low back, because let me throw this out, low back pain, <laughs> we now know 98% of people who have low back pain also have something going on with the pelvic floor. Like they're mm. so connected. Sure. So if someone says to me, I have low back pain, I'm like, go see a pelvic health PT. Mm. So tell me what the pelvic health tea works with you. Like what did, what are you doing in your pelvic, in your sessions? Oh yeah, that's a great question. I mean, it's really with your comfort level. Yeah. So you, you wanna feel like you have a good fit with this person, mm. you know, just like you would with any doctor. And then, and then it depends, you know, for my first visit with my pelvic health PT, she did an internal exam and checked out how is, how is my pelvic floor doing, you know, checking everything, not like a pap test. Mm -hmm. It's, there's no speculum, there's no, there's less discomfort. And it also doesn't mean that there has to be an internal exam. I think that's really important for people to know that they can just go see a pelvic health PT and just talk about what's going on. And they do and things get, with ultrasound too, uh, quite a lot of like they can, yes. they can see how you're working your pelvic floor and your whole lower belly pressure system with ultrasound as well. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, keep going. Yeah. So, and, and so many people think, well, you know, if I have urinary incontinence or I've just had a baby, I need to do Kegels at every stoplight and then I'll have a strong pelvic floor. Mm. Like we've gotten that message over the years. And what we mm. know is most people are actually holding a lot of tension in the pelvic floor. And the last thing they need is to be gripping more, mm. you know, and most people, if they try and do Kegels on their own, aren't even actually doing a proper Kegel. So talk more about that because that's yeah. I, think, I agree. I think everyone thinks that they just pull up their pelvic floor, navel to spine, and hope for the best <laughs> that that that's going to happen. And they're messing up their breathing, and they're messing up their core, their intra-abdominal pressure. It's just so so 
yeah, what, what did you learn about Kegels and like doing one right? So even... pelvic health PTs who were trained in how to do Kegels, mm. they actually took a group of pelvic health PTs and they were not even doing Kegels properly. So mm. you need someone else or like you said, that ultrasound to mm -hmm. to define how how am I doing with this Kegel? Um, some people are not even actually engaging the pelvic floor in any way. Like if, if I came to you and I was like, oh gosh, um, my shoulder is feeling so tense right now. It's really holding so much tension. You would not tell me, okay, Shannon, what we need to do is tighten your shoulder more. Mm. That's right. But we think that with the pelvic floor. And think, the I pelvic floor, if it is holding too much tension, then that can also cause incontinence yep. or pelvic organ prolapse. You know, that's these are, it doesn't function right. We want it to open up and release and relax when we want to void. And then we want it to not do that while we're walking around the rest of our day. Wow. I mean, I'm just listening to this. And besides having another couple questions, realizing how little I know, even as a yoga teacher and mom, um, about the pelvic floor. And it's, it's making me, uh, I want to encourage everyone to get some education about it. And we'll talk about, we'll talk a little bit more about that maybe later. But as you're talking about, <clears throat> as you're talking about Kegels, I'm wondering your thoughts about some of these new kind of practice tools out there like the peri fit you know peri fit do you know those do you know that no yes i would it? love to yeah. hear your thoughts about it i have a peri fit i've used well, it what is a peri fit it's fun <laughs> it's a uh it's a an, an electronic kind of tool that's supposed to help train the pelvic floor and they've kind of gamified it so there's this like thing this kind of dildo-y looking thing, uh -huh. for, lack of, for lack of yeah yeah for lack of a better term and so it's it trains you to kind of you know squeeze and slowly release and slowly mm -hmm. squeeze and it's a game you have a you have a little app on your phone and you follow the app and you play different games with it and i Ooh. wonder it, it's one of those new kind of you know hot fatty things and i wonder um shannon i would wonder your thoughts about things like that Definitely, like this is where I turned to the pelvic health PT. So I, sure. before coronavirus, I worked in an office with multiple pelvic health PTs, mm -hmm. um, and I just remember going into the lunchroom one day, and one of them in there, she was like, "Can you please, when you're teaching yoga classes, can you please tell people stop putting things in your vagina that don't belong <laughs> there?" And I was like, "We'll be more specific, like." <laughs> what are the safe things so i think the peri fit is on the list of safe things but right. there are some people using like um jade and eggs this is where it's, yeah those jade eggs and yeah. like some people are like well if you go to sleep with these and she's like all they're doing is causing like making space for infections here like mm. like go see your pelvic health pt and ask them is this something that would benefit me knowing now my pelvic floor? Is this something that I can use? And the, the one that you're talking about, Shara, it's, mm -hmm. um, it's one that I have heard pelvic health PTs suggest to people, especially the mm -hmm. gamification of it, of like, yeah. woo, 
<laughs> it means you're actually going to do it. You're like, wait, this is fun. Well, because I, I, th- I think the thing that really helped me with um, kegels and that idea that, that, I mean, if most people, if you say, they'll, if you say, how do you do a kegel? They'll say, you go stop the flow of urine. That's like often how it's given as an instruction. Is that your experience, Shannon? Yeah, except the really poor thing about that instruction is that people try and do it on the toilet and the brain and the bladder, like that's way too confusing for the, for the bladder and the brain. So when you go to the toilet, it needs to be, you just release and relax. And there's no trying to stop the flow of urine. And I was even on, I think Oprah did an interview with a gynecologist who even said that on the Oprah show. And I, I know this is where pelvic health PTs will get very upset, like that this just right. went out. Right. You know, and it's it's been printed in multiple magazines. It has. Uh, but that is a cue that you could use as long as you're very clear with people, this does not mean on the toilet. Well, I think, and, I just think it has to be, you have to be so careful because it has been an overused cue and it's, the problem is, is the narrowness of it. And, and I don't know where, and I'll share it with you guys, but I found this like, I think it was like a rolfing guy or I have no idea, but he talked about wagging your tail and doing things like that, like a really playful approach to your pelvic floor. So rather than just doing that, stop the flow of urine, it was like, can you wag your tail to the right and to the left, like a puppy, like a dolphin? And it was like, ooh, this is interesting because this is strengthening without that, just that singular movement. Mm. Which is like you grab something or you pull up. And then I'm, I met a, a French woman who had had babies and had been taught all of these really interesting, somewhere I still have the drawings she did for me. She had all of these spirals, like, they, it, like she'd literally been told to curl her tail up and into itself and roll it over on itself and then go the other way and all these beautiful spirals and uh, movements rather than just uh, stop the flow of urine, Hmm. which I think is such an oversimplification and then gets tied to people sitting on the toilet doing it. Yeah. Mm. And the other thing that I love about this, so you talked about this person from France. In France, I think people who give birth to babies get to go 11 times to yes. see a pelvic health PT. Like it's it's part of having a baby. Right. Um, that's really key there. And also, if you think about the pelvic floor, you want to think about it. Actually, I had a fascinating conversation with Liz Cook, mm-hmm. the, the psoas queen, and she talked about, let's stop saying pelvic floor, which I'm sorry, Liz, I can't yet. Mm-hmm. Um, because she said it is not a floor it is not a foundation in the house it is this moving thing so let's just think about the pelvic floor as a trampoline for a moment you want it Mm -hmm. to be able to give and release and relax in order to really properly work if you tightened a, a trampoline it wouldn't be effective and that's exactly the way the pelvic floor is and so this simplification of the kegels is really wild to me actually if i was teaching a group yoga class because i don't teach them anymore now but i stopped cueing any pelvic floor engagement in group classes because Mm -hmm. the majority of people there's been scientific studies 
done to show that when we are stressed, the first thing that engages is the pelvic floor. So if everyone's coming into yoga class and I know, okay, the stress people will be holding tension there and I actually have no idea what's happening with anyone's pelvic floor in this class, I'm going to focus on lengthening those muscles, which is like that relax. I want to get them into that relaxation response. Mm -hmm. So then, <clears throat> excuse me. So then like I, my original yoga teacher training and yoga um, practice was um, kind of based in Ashtanga vinyasa yoga. And so things like Mulabandha and were, you know, a key part of that. And so in discussing and talking about the pelvic floor and its impacts, and even just some of the things that you're saying here, this idea that kind of holding or gripping uh, the pelvic floor, uh, triggering, potentially triggering the stress response. I wonder what are your thoughts about things like that, about Mulabanda? Do you feel like it's being taught incorrectly? Do you feel like it's an outdated idea? Do you feel like there's a, um, it's been simplified? So there's another, uh, there's something else that it's actually meant to be um, affecting that we're just, we've just simplified it right down to just, you know, lift your pelvic floor and, you know, hold it for the whole practice? Like, what are your thoughts around something like that? That's such a good question. I actually did a whole podcast episode on this with oh, Shelly Prosco. Yes, oh. on Mula Banda huh? and Kegels. Like, we wanted to compare the two. And, you know, I, I always learn from Shelly Prosco. She's a pelvic health PT um, and also a yoga teacher. And and, you know, she, I, what I often learned from her is that there's no definite answer. There's way more questions. Yeah, but sure. my my understanding of what Mulabandha is when it's been cued to me in different yoga classes is that I think teachers are trying to, to reach this, like, Kegel-type thing or pelvic floor engagement I don't know if that's the original idea with it. Like, that's what I would question is, what was it originally? Like, where, where did this come into the yoga world? And also, I know so many yoga practitioners or teachers who have told me that they dealt with years of constipation or um, feelings of anxiety or uh, not, being, not being able to birth their babies easily, and they're now blaming doing hmm. so much mulabanda in their classes. Mm, yeah. So I don't know. It's, Interesting. I don't know of any study, but mm -hmm. that's I love there. the work of um, Josephine Key, who's like, she says this thing called Key Moves. And she echoes a lot of what Shelley Prosco says as well. But her whole idea is once the pelvis comes into optimum position, so your pelvis can move in six directions, right? It can go anterior, posterior, it'll rotate and it'll side bend kind of. You can lift your right side up and your left side up. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So for whatever you're doing, if you find the right dynamic balance in your pelvis, as if it were a kind of gimbal or a, something mm -hmm. that isn't just set, it's like if I balanced a ball on my finger. Mm -hmm. And if you find that right dynamic balance, Mulabandha, like the, all of the things that you need, not necessarily the Mulabandha, but the pelvic floor and the abdominal girdle and your intra-abdominal pressure system 
comes on ideally and you didn't have to think about it. Mm. Your motor cortex thought about it because it already knew how to do it from when you were a kid. Mm. Yes. You know? And and if you've forgotten because of injury or birth or things like that, that's where pelvic health PTs really help you re reclaim that kind of birthright. Mm. But a lot of, I agree with not cueing it because it, it actually happens. And I love mm. cueing. I love doing it where you, I call it like free pelvic floor where I'm free core, you know, where you get people to balance their pelvis or something like in warrior one, I might say tuck too much and then tip too much the other way and then find the balance. And you can see people go, Oh, I just felt everything kind of not click on, but they feel that sense of rebound and response. Hmm. Does that, does that um, resonate with you, Shannon? It does. And what's so fascinating is this, conversation that I had with Liz Cook this week yeah. about the psoas, she was saying exactly this, like that pelvis, you know, kind of balances there in space kind of thing mm -hmm. um, when it's mm -hmm. in the right spot and then everything works. And <clears throat> this makes total sense every time you breathe. And Liz refers to the pelvic floor as the pelvic diaphragm, which mm. is a nice idea if you think of the the respiratory diaphragm and the pelvic diaphragm or the pelvic floor, they move together. When you mm -hmm. breathe in, they both move down. Mm -hmm. And when you breathe out, they both move up. And if you think about this as like a jellyfish movement, mm -hmm. it's very gentle and it just happens. You don't, you don't need to do anything. Like we love in the Western world to do things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And so I think this is where the Kegels came in. We're like, I gotta, you know, keep this tension in my pelvic floor. Mm. And I, I really question that. I think, mm. I think when I notice, like just notice in the next 24 hours, mm. how often you're actually clenching. <laughs> if you're standing or if you're sitting, like, I'm I'm taking my daughter who's 16 for driving lessons lately and I can feel like whoa she's a good driver just to say that but like when you get behind when you get in the car with someone who's just learning mm. you're more you have to be more on alert you know mm. and I feel it I'm like yeah. okay release 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 I keep telling myself so mm. oh man I I so love this because as I'm listening to this, I'm thinking, yes, the subtle, we, we are, we are so addicted, especially if we know something, we know something about, you know, I don't know if we know something about the pelvic floor, or we have some sense of how creating this beautiful dynamic balance is supposed to make us feel. And then we're coveting the feeling. Mm. And then we're like, okay, I'm going to dive in and like, you know, fix this somehow or create this somehow when a lot of it is really about noticing and releasing and allowing the body mind complex to do what it does. But we're like, I'm going to take this thing by the reins and I'm going to direct it to where it needs to go. And in doing that, we end up, you know, kind of messing ourselves up. And not even just that, I think we end up losing that connection to the subtle that's going to give us the feedback that what we're doing is working in the first place. So it's this horrible cycle of we don't feel it and so we'll keep pushing we don't feel it and we keep pushing and it's that process that's creating itself 
Yes. I have such a good example of this. Mm -hmm. A yoga teacher, fitness professional came to see me. She said, okay, Shannon, I've heard that I need to come and work with you, pelvic health. And she was seeing a pelvic health PT. I like people to be doing that first. And she said, okay, I've been doing this like core program. We're strengthening pelvic floor and we're strengthening the core. And, but I'm also noticing I've had, and as we got talking, she said she'd had like repetitive diagnosis of <clears throat> bladder infection. But now her doctor was saying like, there's actually not a bladder infection. So they were starting to look at interstitial cystitis. So I see this is where the bladder is really not happy. <clears throat> Some people call it painful bladder syndrome because, and I just want to highlight that there's also people who have painful bladder syndrome and at one point had the bladder removed and the pain persists. So we know it's not just in the bladder anyway. So it's a whole other <laughs> topic, but she had been doing all of this core work. And I said to her just for this week, until we meet next week, can you take out all the Kegels and all the this strengthening core work that you're doing and let's see what happens. And she came back the next week and was like, I have no pain. I have no, none of that bladder pain. Mm. Now she still went to see a pelvic health PT and that pelvic health PT said, you are holding tension in your pelvic floor and I want you to focus on the restorative side of things like that that you know getting into that relaxation response again so you're right we can really you know she was excited to learn about how the core and the pelvic floor work and and she was doing a program and it was online it was a course but it, everyone is so unique that that mm. they respond in different ways and we can really kind of mess around with something that already just works just being mm. Yeah, you know, that makes me wonder um, uh, if there are different pelvic floor concerns for women and men, because it feels to me, feels to me like for when you think about or talk about pelvic health, you immediately just think of women. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I'm sure men immediately just think of women too. But we do mm -hmm. have in our classes, we do have men and women. And so I wonder, um, yeah, are there different and what might be some of the different concerns for women and men in pelvic floor health? You know, a lot of the concerns are the same. And I love that you brought this up because if you think about the anatomy of different individuals, and I'm also really working in my own uh, learning mm -hmm. about all genders, like mm. the full gender spectrum, mm -hmm. transgender. And mm. so, and this just really is very liberating. Like in my language now, I try and take out the gender talk with pelvic health because think about the way the pelvis is made. Let's say what we know as a quote unquote woman and a quote unquote man. So we know like the genitalia of a man. And if you think about it, it's exactly the reverse for a woman. We have the same... We have the same structures, but some are on the inside for people mm -hmm. and some are on the outside. And it's, we have the pelvic floor, we have the pelvis, you know, we have our sexual organs. Dr. Susie Gronsky is someone who specializes in male pelvic health. She has a podcast, I think it's called In Your Pants. <laughs> <laughs> That's provocative. <laughs> and, <laughs> 
it's a great it's a lot of fun it? it's great <laughs> um something like that so i hope i'm getting it right but the thing is i w i was always under the impression that women have a hard time getting answers about their pelvic health but as much as i thought that men have a way harder time like to find someone who specializes in male pelvic health is very rare mm. and they have the same things you know they deal with urinary incontinence constipation mm. pelvic pain and what kind of a guy do you hear coming forward saying like when i have sex with my partner it's painful like are they talking with their guys about that their guy friends i think yeah. that conversation is even more so lacking for mm. men and then talk about like our transgender populations like we really need to be taking a huge look and by we i mean like me i'm taking a look at every resource i've ever put out there about pelvic health and how focused i was on women yeah mm. Mm. interesting I, I i like that idea that that um it would take away the gender and we we teach it in general and again coming kind of back to principles and back to sensing rather than kind of instructing and doing it's sort of sensing what's yours i guess and um i don't know that's that's uh that's what i took from that is like mm. rather than just the describing or prescribing and and um genderifying it mm. yeah and I know that it takes a long time to get used to this. When I was redoing our prenatal manual and taking out woman and mom and all of those words and making it gender neutral, my dad was like, why? And I said, because dad, men can have babies. People who identify as men can have babies. And he was like, I don't know what kind of world we're living in now. When I grew up, men couldn't have babies. I was like, well, now they can, dad. Wow. <laughs> You know? oh, this is this is such a good point you're making mm. it really is like you just you kind of just blew my mind there for a sec because I'm like that's right and and I love that we I love that you've raised this or you've you've highlighted this because these are things that we're that we need to start really thinking about and considering and bringing into as teachers as as people bringing mm -hmm. into our understanding around relating with people and not yeah. doing that girl talk. Like I hear what you're taking the gender mm -hmm. language out of it. Cause it's like, careful, you're not doing women's business in your yoga class with guys mm. in there or with who knows what people have got in their pants actually, you yeah. know, now, um, how they're identifying. Mm. But um, yeah, I think. What you're saying is really important, Maria, in yeah. the class. Like mm -hmm, I, mm -hmm. from teaching pelvic health for years and years, I was always saying like, draw like find your perineum which will be between you know between your vagina and your anus or for the men in the room and then i just thought why am i saying this i could just and it was actually tobias wiggins who did a two-hour um transgender competency training inside of our pelvic health professionals group tobias came in and said like why are we calling out sex organs like why why can't you just say you know between the anus and the sex organ. I was like, right. right. Mm. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Why am I doing this? So yeah. I, it was, and actually it makes it easier. Like you yes. said, you don't know 
how anyone is identifying in a class. Mm. Yeah. Or the the relationship that they have with their gender or their anatomy. Like mm-hmm. because that does not I, I know it I know it's sometimes hard to wrap your head around if you haven't heard this before, or I've also heard the argument of like, why? Why does it have to be so complicated? Well, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. But as a cisgendered white woman, you know, my life has not been very complicated in that aspect. Mm. But for other people it just has been and we can make the effort to make it less difficult for those people mm. you know yeah and that also brings up things like I don't, I don't know Shannon if you want to talk about trauma like you've already talked about the biopsychosocial aspect that that often stuff is going on psychologically um, and that will manifest maybe in the, in people's pelvises and lower backs but then there's the whole world of sexual trauma and even birth trauma and, um, you know, just our culture, which is so mm-hmm. like shaming around every, as soon as you go potty training right up to sexual or sexual experiences. So when we start saying between the anus and the sex organs, there are a lot of people who just go into like dissociation. They're <laughs> like, I don't go there. Mm-hmm. It's really yes. interesting when people just are like, uh-uh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you had that experience? Have you? I have. And I will say that I switched to teaching one-on-one with people. I moved mm-hmm. out of teaching to groups, you know, because I like to have an in-depth intake with people, especially around pelvic health. And there were a lot of people who were coming to see me who had different traumas. Like mm. you said, sexual abuse is what we is what we usually often associate with that, but it can be so many things. I love that you brought in potty training, birth, mm. like we all did these things at mm-hmm. some point, either we were birthed or we were mm-hmm. learning potty training or the shame. There was a woman who came to a yeah. workshop who said, I was like, okay, let's all find our pelvic floor because there's a really simple way to find your pelvic floor from lying on your side and feel it. And she was like, I'm sorry, I just have to to say right here, I was always brought up to never touch myself. Mm-hmm. So she taught me in that moment that I need to be very mindful of that because I get so comfortable now with pelvic health. I'm like, I feel like I'm asking people touch your elbow, but. Mm-hmm. So what is I the really they're... simple way to find your pelvic floor? Like, <laughs> I was like, hang on a second, stop. <laughs> so it's like, just drop a little bomb secret. It's like... <laughs> So I like to do it from sideline and mm-hmm. I actually had to do this for, I did some filming with yoga anytime. And I thought, wow, like it's one thing for me to do this in a class mm-hmm. or in a one-on-one session, but here I am doing it where people are like trying to zoom in as mm-hmm. I'm doing this. So, but I, what I really love is that now it exists online where someone mm-hmm. could like go watch it from their own home and mm-hmm. do it. So you lie on your side and if you think about where the sits bone is so mm-hmm. just think where is the pelvic floor and i think a lot of people don't even understand where it attaches so mm-hmm. it runs from the pubic bone at the front all the way to the tailbone at the back and then it makes like this diamond shape attaching to both sits bones so if you find your sits bone as you're lying on your side you hug your your one knee, the top knee up towards you, you can wrap your hand around the sits bone and go a little bit 
further, not all the way to that midline, not all the way to that perineum area, but just right there, that's your pelvic floor that you're feeling. And it, and then notice if it moves with your breath. Mm -hmm. That's what I love about that. I work a lot with people who have pelvic organ prolapse, so they're worried and they're clenching and they're holding. They're worried like, I'm gonna do this movement where my pelvic organs will come out more, that there'll be so much pressure pushing down. So this is a great way to like lie on your side and check in and see because oftentimes like it, it has to be a lot of pressure. So you can check and feel and see, no, everything's fine. Like it's just moving the way it needs to. And mm -hmm. it's a good way to connect with it. Mm. I love that. Yeah. I had, I had a, a student with, um, with organ prolapse and, and we did a little bit of work like that, but she, she eventually got a pessiary. Do you, have you heard of pessiaries? Yeah. Yeah. What what is it? I need to look it up. I was like, oh, she's like, it's working really well, and I keep thinking I need to look up what it is. Right. It's like something okay. you put inside. So I think it's also something that you, um, another thing we put in our vaginas. Yes, an yeah. approved thing. An like approved it's thing. It's approved. Okay. By your pelvic health PT and mm -hmm. your gynecologist, uh, or or whoever it is that helps you fit them. So I would yeah. recommend that everyone Google's pessary images mm -hmm. because they're all different shapes there's some that are shaped like donuts some that are shaped like a spinning top kind of thing like they're very different and they mm -hmm. should fit so you should be able to jump around with them in right without um, any effort you're not hanging on to them yeah and let me yeah. just say here as we're starting to talk about pelvic organ prolapse it's a hundred percent of people who give birth <laughs> who have some degree of pelvic organ prolapse is the last that I heard. Now we have science to say it's 50%, but pelvic health experts are starting to say now this is something that happens when we give birth. But yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> Maria's got an image. Oh, I yes. just Googled yeah, it and there's like a hundred, wow. like Shannon wasn't kidding. There's yeah. like, it looks <laughs> kind of it's like so something you'd find in your office drawer, but <laughs> or your, or your sewing kit. I'm not really I know. sure. Could be anything. <laughs> yeah. So okay, wait, Shannon. So is this is this for folks who have given that birth vaginally? No. As well okay. As... So okay, any birth, any, any birth, birth, any birth mm. experience. Also, a birth. so been birth or given birth or just given. Birth? No, no. Um, given birth. I mean, okay. it, it can depend. Like if you think of all of the pressure onto the pelvic organs. Yeah. Just carrying during the pregnancy, yeah. it could be there, mm. but mm. also constipation is mm. one of the leading causes. So you could never birth a babe and still experience pelvic organ prolapse. Now, mm. it's harder to do this over audio, but I'm gonna try. Okay. If you pull, if you have a long sleeve and you pull your hand into your sleeve and you imagine that this is the vagina. Okay. And on mm. one side is the bladder and on the other side is the rectum. Mm -hmm. What a pelvic organ prolapse is, if you think about your sleeve being the, you know, it moves, it's the it's that yeah. column or that yeah. river of the vagina. Yeah. And sometimes the the bowel or the bladder will kind of push over into that sleeve and 
and come over into it. So it's not like your bladder is coming out through your vagina. It's like it's pushing the tissue at the side. I, I think okay. we don't understand at all what a pelvic organ prolapse is. Yeah. And it's very common. And interesting. it's so emotionally devastating. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm yes. sure. And, you know, that's interesting because one of the things I was thinking about um, as we were talking about this is, and I know that this isn't just related to, um, it, this applies across the spectrum of age, but I do yes. wonder... Uh, about the different considerations and the different um, experiences potentially that are related to age. Because I mean, I'm sure this can happen to folks who are who are much younger. But personally, I know I wasn't thinking about any of this stuff mm. <laughs> <laughs> up until I don't know, maybe like ten years ago or something, or you know, right. until I had a little life on me and I actually had some experiences and you know, and all the rest of it. And so I do wonder. Um, yeah, I'd love to hear any of your thoughts about considerations as we age or um, if we should be thinking about this slightly differently, depending upon. I think we do need to. I, you know, I didn't know all of this stuff when I gave birth or when I was a teenager, but like the simplest things, you know, we have a squatty potty in our house. So that means that you can pull this little stool out and raise your knees higher than your hips to to go to the bathroom. And for bowel movements, this is really important. It like, mm -hmm. you know, there are countries where people squat to go to the bathroom and there's a reason for that because everything works really well. It's and amazing. There's some good image, um, like I'll link to some images on Facebook about <laughs> what it is. Cause it's yeah. literally like pushing against a kink hose yeah. or not. Yeah. Yes. Yes. yes, they're amazing. Yeah. So, mm. you know, in our house now, I didn't have that when my kids were little. But I imagine what it's like to grow up in a house. I mean, I definitely talk about pelvic health all the time to my children. Like if mm. they ask a question, <laughs> I wait for questions. Yeah. I mean, they, they know they'll say to me, like, they'll hear somebody talking about they're like, Oh, don't don't make me laugh or I'll pee my pants and they're like you should talk to my mom like they know <laughs> that I like to talk about this yeah. mm -hmm. um but but imagine if we learned about the anatomy of our whole pelvis mm -hmm. you know when we learn like health class like mm -hmm. how this works in every body male female however you however you categorize it and I don't know. I think this is really missing. I I do know that as we age, things do change. But I actually see a lot of people who are very young dealing with pelvic health issues. And isn't Especially our statistics now, like, um, that, that fitness instructors and yoga teachers, particularly though, Shannon, because like you were saying before, I think there's a really high incidence of incontinence and even prolapse in in fitness instructors and yoga teachers because there's so much um, pulling in and up of the pelvic floor or pushing down and creating pressure that they're doing it wrong. And um, so they have some of the highest incidence of pelvic problems. Yeah. Have you yeah, heard that I before? Do. 
I have, and there's yeah. a really disturbing video of someone who's like doing box jumps, and she's like, I pee my pants every time I do oh. box jumps. Wow. And she's like, if you're not peeing when you're jumping, you're not jumping hard enough. But that's oh. not, that's <laughs> it's not normal to pee your pants. Oh. Um, and it shouldn't yeah. be celebrated. And also, if you look in the next time you go to a grocery store, which I haven't been, we just order our groceries online now, but anyway, <laughs> If you look down the aisle of like incontinence pads, it's yeah. massive. It's a huge industry. Yeah, it's Instead rivaling of the cereal in aisle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's a reason for that yeah. because they're doing a really great job of marketing to a group of people who doesn't want to go forward and talk about this. There, yeah. You know, when you talk about age, a lot of people will say, well, as you get older, you'll just start peeing your pants. Mm -hmm. You know, this is something mm -hmm. that comes with age and especially after you've had children. And I'd say like, no, mm -hmm. there was there was someone who came to see a public health PT in our office and she'd been dealing with incontinence for 20 years. And she came to see the pelvic health PT and had it cleared up really quickly. Like mm. she was so upset that she didn't go sooner. You know, mm. think of the investment of money, <clears throat> one, but just the emotional holding you back. Exactly. I can't go anywhere. I can't do these things. The like shame around it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I know. I mean, even what you're saying, Shannon, I had two babies, two big babies, nine pounders. And for, I, I thought I was okay, but I also didn't know I had diastasis recti that, you know, and I, and it was only sort of when I started learning about kind of that getting your pelvis in position. So every time I would jump with my kids on the trampoline, I'd go empty my bladder, jump with my kids on the trampoline. I think, where is this pee coming from? I have, I just went to the bathroom. Mm. Anyway, I did this pelvic work on like what we were talking about, like balancing the pelvis and not pulling up or pulling in and, and the diastasis recti work. I can jump on the trampoline no problem with a bladder full or not it completely yes. changed it and i was like oh this has to do with how i'm pressurizing my system and how i'm working with like what breath which is what you said how the diaphragm um how it moves with the pelvic diaphragm and allowing those two to move together those things have made such a big difference to my my life mm, yeah that's amazing that you figured that out because we want to be able to do those things like jump on the trampoline or laugh or yeah. <laughs> so many things. Live, <laughs> Man, it's it's really good and heartening to hear that, you know, that some of the messaging around this and I don't know if it's changing on wholesale changing, but it's good to hear, you know, you say, Shannon, that regardless of age, um, we shouldn't have an expectation that, you know, once you hit, you know, once you clock over into 50 or 60 or whatever it may be, then just expecting continence to be a part of the way that you live your life. Because I'm a big believer that that's, you know, that none of these things are true either, that we have to, um, we have to engage in this process of knowing ourselves and educating ourselves around our body and around uh, all these other things that we've been talking about here so that we can make more powerful choices to, to to have some vitality, to maintain our vitality. So yeah. Shannon, how do people learn what you know about pelvic health? I know you run that, you've got a pelvic health membership. Mm. Yeah. Well, tell us about how people yeah. can learn more because I, I would imagine now we have an audience at this edge of our seats just going, wait a second. Okay. <laughs> you know, like, 
<laughs> I need to know some stuff. Yeah. <laughs> well, what I can do is um, definitely like we have some podcasts, the Connected Yoga Teacher Podcast. Mm -hmm. um, I can send you over all of the ones that we have on pelvic health. I think mm -hmm. that would be a great place yeah. for them to start to dive in. And pelvic, actually, that's all on our pelvic health professionals website. So that's probably the best place to go. Okay. Pelvichealthprofessionals.com. And the resources, you'll see all podcasts and articles there where people can just access this information and listen. And then if they want to go dive further in, and if they are someone who's working with individuals, let's say they're a yoga teacher, or they're a physiotherapist, or a massage therapist, or talk therapy, like anyone who's basically working with people who have a pelvis, mm -hmm. they can join pelvic health professionals and learn a lot more. Okay, so you don't uh, have to be like a spiffy professional. In other words, it's because um, it like sounds like if, yeah, it sounds like if I'm in the pelvic health professionals website, I feel like I'm not qualified. But but if you're working with people with pelvises, you are qualified to join. Yeah, I'm membership. so glad that you asked that. <laughs> no, any and really like you could join as a. Some people are like, you know what? I'm just here because I want to learn about my own pelvis. Like we mm. don't have a, you know, prove your your initials behind your name before you join sure. the membership. But we really are, our questions are very much focused on like having that basic understanding of yeah. pelvic health and, and then wanting to learn more. And we get into some amazing topics in there. So we have guest speakers every month come in and chat. Yeah. And I learn and my mind is blown every single month. And this is why, like I used to teach a course on this. And then I was like, the information is updating way too fast. Mm -hmm. Like by the time I make a course, it's outdated. So instead, mm -hmm. let's just get the experts in. They can talk to us for an hour. We can ask questions and then we'll just learn about something new the next month. Yeah. Mm. Awesome. Yeah, I do. I do kind of just want to reiterate that this is information and knowledge that we all need in some shape or form. And so, you know, I know a lot of folks have a tendency to think, well, you know, I'll just, I'll just wait for my yoga teacher to teach me or somebody to mention it or, or until I have some kind of pain. And even if we're not consciously acknowledging that, um, you know, that's in many, in, in a lot of situations, that's kind of what we're, what we're choosing. And I just want to encourage folks to, to dive into this, to understand more about, themselves understand more about you know the pelvic floor um, and its impacts and I I feel like learning these things teaches you more about you and your life and you know we're all kind of engaged in some process of self-inquiry and it can start anywhere it might, might just be starting with your pelvic floor mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I agree well, I hope everyone gets curious about their pelvis and because in a way I mean what you're saying Shara is exactly right if you're curious about your pelvis, you're actually curious about your breath. Mm. You know, I mean, yes, because if your pelvis is out or you're too tight with your pelvic floor or you're hanging on to your pissy area or whatever it is, you know, yeah. you're you're not breathing. You are not mm -hmm. able to move prana and and really dive into what the yoga is doing. Mm. Yeah. So I think and I think as soon as you say pelvic, whatever people, people run and dive for the bushes. Cause it's, it's, uh, cause if there is so much shame around it and so much like, Oh my gosh, are we going to talk about genitals and stuff like that? But 
I think it's really important for yoga teachers, um, like what you said, to sort of neutralize their language, but also to make it really part of the common language to, to, to be really unshaming about it and really open about it. And is that your approach? I guess you're it not is, teaching classes so much anymore, but so well, you're doing it it's mine. Yeah. I want to say like, I do work with some yoga teachers yeah. or movement educators who are like, I do not want to be calling out anatomy in my class. And right. that's okay. Like find wherever you're comfortable. I am super comfortable. And I really do want people to start saying like vagina, just like you'd say elbow. Yeah. And nobody's like, Oh my gosh, you know, our nose is a really interesting thing. But we have <laughs> no problem like talking about how our nose works and the anatomy. Mm. Um, so I I do want to take that shame away from it or the secrecy. Like, yeah. why would there be secrets about this human body that we all have? Mm. Yeah. Well, that's right. But it is isolating. We think we're the only one with incontinence or you're the only one with um, pelvic pain or, you know, and that, and if you're a yoga teacher, you shouldn't have it because you're a yoga teacher. Mm hmm. You should have all so the then, answers. That's right. So then you're yeah. grinning and bearing it through, <laughs> or you're following some idiot who goes, unless you're peeing your pants, you're not even doing it right. Like I've definitely heard right. yoga teachers give instructions that were like wrong, you know, that, that were, I don't know if you're, if you're someone once gave an instruction, if you're sitting up really straight in like Dandasana and, and your kidneys are burning, you know, that's detoxifying. You know what I mean? Cause you're uh -huh. just overusing those back muscles. And I was like, no, you're not. You're not using your psoas to sit up and you're just totally overusing your back muscles. Like, let's call the emperor's new clothes. The emperor yeah. is naked. You know? <laughs> but a lot of people, they don't know. So this yeah. is where the education really makes a big difference. And I think mm -hmm. things like your membership, and I love that you have resources there that people can go to straight away and podcasts they can go to straight away mm -hmm. to begin to educate themselves, you know, educate themselves and, and not um, feel like you need to avoid it or, or be shamed around it at all. Mm. Yeah. You know, there were two people that I talked with in the last year who had mm. some form of pelvic organ prolapse who mm. um, were feeling so isolated, so alone, and like their body was failing them that they were actually having suicidal thoughts. Mm. And when we get to that point in our society where people are suffering in that way with something that is like very common, <laughs> that's a problem. Like if we are being quiet about these things, so it's my people, people who know me and, and I get on this soapbox a lot, they'll be like, just call Shannon. Someone said to me, how do I book a one-on-one -on -one with you to talk about this? I was like, oh no, we're just, let's just have a phone conversation <laughs> because I think it is, it can be life and death if someone does not feel like they can talk about this or they feel like they're the only one. Mm. So, mm. yeah. Wow. Well, Shannon, yes. this has been fantastic. Mm. It's it's also proven to me that there's no, there's no limit to the things that we can talk with you about. Yeah. <laughs> It's, just, it's been such an education um, and it's been really lovely to have this chance to talk with you about this work that you are so passionate about. I know you've got you've got multi passions, but um, also just to see how 
the other stuff that you do with yoga teachers and, you know, more increasingly um, with with social justice and things, how those things are blending into this work. And I think you, you're doing such a beautiful job. And I just want to thank you as always for taking this time with us to share your wisdom and your, um, and your beautiful energy. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you both so much. I feel like you, you both don't probably know the impact that you've had just in the few conversations that we've had together, yeah. like a lot of impact. Shara, you said something about yoga practice the last time I talked to you. And that's like, has really stuck with me and really energized my practice. Maria, you were talking to me all about like, just about, you know, pain science healing mm. and, and our emotional health and so many things. I love your shares on social media where you're, yeah. you're showing what you're going through and, and mm. how you're moving and how you're just doing things out in the world. It's, it's, you both are very inspiring. Oh. Well, thank you. Yeah. Anyway, thanks. it feels like family. I wish we could check in more because it feels I know. Uh, no. <laughs> like <laughs> having Sunday dinner or whatever, you know, yeah. <laughs> around the pelvic floor. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> That's great. Well, I'm certain this won't be our last conversation. Yeah. We'll be finding other things to talk about, I'm yeah. sure. And that won't be very hard. Yeah. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you both. Yeah. Thanks. Oh, I so love listening to that one. And I hope you did too. And I highly recommend that you seek out Shannon on any of the platforms where she shares her wisdom and her compassion. I've added some info into the show notes about that. So links uh, to where you can find her, but you can find her and more of her sensible and incredibly easeful goodness on the Connected Yoga Teacher podcast and Pelvic Floor Professionals. And I said, as I mentioned, you can find those links in the show notes. And so I mentioned in the intro that I'd fill you in on what's happening next. And I've got one more podcast that Maria and I recorded left to share. And that was another of the original conversations that Maria and I had prior to kind of establishing where we wanted to go with the podcast. And this was a chat about what it means to find yourself. And I thought it kind of of a fitting way to wrap up this first season of this podcast and to provide uh, something of a foundation for what's next. So what exactly is next, you may be asking? Well, the truth is, I don't know. And I, you know what, I think that's actually the best part. Uh, what I do know is that I will continue having conversations with folks about what it means to live and to share our yoga in the world and how our practice of yoga and our practice of embodying its wisdom informs how we live and how we connect and how we die and the impact that we can make in between. You know, what I learned from Maria, so many things, but one of the things that I learned from Maria is the value and the vital importance of living out loud, of saying what needs to be said, of sharing yourself authentically and leaving the world a better place as a result. And so, of course, she's inspiring me to continue this exploration and to continue sharing it with you. So thank you again for your love and support thus far. And please stay tuned for more information about the final episode of season one, as well as 
more information about the next season of the Live Like You Love Yourself podcast, which I'm hoping to birth later this year. Until then, take care of yourselves. Thank you.